vibe. So I don't anticipate having it. Okay. Well, I'll edit this. It's okay. I can edit this out. I have the technology. Okay. I don't expect anything happening, but like if my German shepherd barges in or something like that, I don't anticipate that happening, but if something weird happens like that, would you like pause or for a second? We can, we can pause, or if it's not too <laughs> noticeable, we can leave it as character. Because people, one of the reasons we yeah. stopped editing is the we hired a marketing research person to work with us, oh, and they cool. actually said that the like that's why we don't pre-record the intro. They said it adds authenticity. We're not we're not ready to go. I'm going to cut this part, so you're fine. Uh, but they said that even when you stumble on it, that just makes it more normal conversation. So you're building the parasocial relationship. So they actually like it when that kind of stuff happens, believe it or not, because yeah. the overly produced stuff just doesn't feel as real to the reader or listeners, I guess. And, and for the yeah. record, all of our answers are geared towards listeners and readers because we didn't court other authors. They don't buy our books. So you know, keep that in mind. Our audience are mostly like readers. We'll get about oh. 250 plus reviews per episode and growing. So, yeah, no, well, I noticed your your views and stuff and subscribers, you know, because, you know, because I've tapped on a couple episodes here and there. I'm like, yeah, they, they've got a subscriber base, definitely. So that's awesome. And uh, and it's going to go up because I just partnered. Well, we just uh, agreed to sponsor a company. Well, not sponsor. We're going to do an interview of a company that's got thousands that's about to release a Magic to Gathering style card game in uh, January. So we're going to record that in December. And so it, yeah. and it we're giving him the platform to sound like a professional company. So he gets a win and then he's going to try to get his nerdy audience to listen to us. So we get a win. Um, so kind of cool. All right. I am going to mark this at, what is it? Um, One minute, 50 seconds. All right. And we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to allow our guest, the one, the only, Deanna Federick, to introduce herself to our listeners and viewers. Hi, I'm uh, Deanna Fedorak. I'm a science fiction and fantasy author. I released my debut novel, Children of Alpheos, through the Wild Rose Press uh, in February of this year. Uh, I was in the Air Force for about 26 years uh, prior to this, and I retired um, and decided to become a writer full-time. I've been plinking along for several years uh, writing. I have two kids, a husband, a German shepherd, and when I'm not writing or reading. I like to travel anywhere with a beach that I'm there. Uh, currently, I live in sunny Las Vegas, and uh, I've been into boba tea lately, uh, like we talked about uh, before the show, since there's been a whole bunch of stores cropping up here in Vegas with that. So I've been trying them out because there are differences in quality. So, <laughs> and uh, that's me. So you, you Las Vegas, you're speaking Stabby's language. That's where she uh, was born and raised. Oh, awesome. Okay. So I she was all about the same Air city. Force brat. Okay. So you've seen a lot of changes here. <laughs> oh, yes. The cool thing oh, is yes. about as, uh, as Las Vegas has grown because of the city, all the imported water that comes in and then people are water in the yard, just even just flushing the toilet. They've started changing the weather there because they're uh, now introducing more uh, humidity into the oxygen and it's creating an effect that's greenifying the area. There's probably terraforming words for it that sound science fiction-y that I should know, but we're just going to smile and nod. That's right. It's they actually pay us to get rid of the grass. Do they really? So what is it just like, wild. 
Do you just they, write uh, the dirt in? Well, no, a lot of people do the desert like uh, landscape. Uh, our house, when we've, I mean, we've been here over a decade, so we do actually have grass because uh, I just had the one kid at the time and I was like, I'd like some grass for him, please. And, you know, if you have pets, it's kind of nice. So we're kind of grandfathered in, but they'll give you a, a credit and, you know, you save a ton on your water bill. If, uh, I mean, some of my neighbors have some pretty nice, they, they, they get creative. They put palm trees out there and like nice, like river rocks and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I, I remember my time in the army where we painted those rocks. So a yard full of rocks does not sound appealing. Uh, Nick, if you were probably a not a problem child, like I was as an E1, so you probably did not paint the rocks. I had to, uh, well, no, I had to mop up rain once, which oh, is hard here in Fort Lewis where it rains almost the entire year. Uh, paint, I don't know if I painted any rocks. I raked sand once. I've done that. Um, that uh, was the fun one was I paid it forward. So when I was a nasty, crusty sergeant and we had a problem child E1, I made him go out in the middle of a sandstorm in Iraq uh, and with a sandbag to collect the sand because that's how he was going to fill it. You know, oh, he, wow. he left his rifle in a porta potty again after that. Ooh, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. 15, I thought my answer was a little more creative. It didn't ruin his career. <laughs> I did have to replace a commander's rosebush once. Yeah, we've heard that story. So uh, because we, you mentioned the military and, and you're writing a little bit, do you feel like your time in the U.S. Air Force affected the way you told stories when you started writing? Well, I, I will say it affected um, my editing because I like have a very analytical brain, you know, because when you're writing, you kind of have to like um, like do the finger painting kind of thing, you know, to get the uh, emotion to flow. Uh I mean, it definitely had some kind of influence, but I noticed most when I'm editing, because now I'm going back and analyzing things, you know, uh, systematically. So that part of uh, the career definitely uh, impacted my writing. So when you do write, do you feel like you ever draw from people you served with? Unofficially, of course, to protect the innocent or guilty. <laughs> you know, I have a military sci-fi novella that's, un that's unpublished right now that, uh, that I need to dust off because I have some really good editing comments and uh, there are uh, amalgam of people I served with. How's that? Yeah. I think those stereotypes and the tropes about the military people exist because those people exist and, you know, we yeah. probably served with them. So it works. Um, I was probably the kind of private that gave the officers the gray hairs. So, I mean, I guess it's all turnabout fair play um, that I got those trouble. Now everyone always focuses on how, being in the military might affect the way you tell the stories. Do you think it changes how you engage with stories as a consumer, as a reader, a watcher of the shows and such? Have you ever outlined it like an off order? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually I, it took me. And so, so let me clarify. So I was like active duty for like six years, but then the remainder of the time I went into the reserves. Uh, so I was, I was part-time for a lot of those years. So I still definitely had, you know, a foot in the civilian world, uh, the real world, uh, if you will. Um, but it took me seven years to, to write my novel. So I did not outline it. And then um, got a couple of manu uh, manuscript consultations. And then uh, after that, I was like, okay, I'm not going to take this long, you know, to write a story anymore. I was a little bit, you know, more purposeful. Uh, but 
you know, I've read somewhere and I tend to write things by hand because that's how your emotion flows from your writing hand. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys probably heard that, you know, as writers. So uh, when stuff comes to me, like I jot it down and it just flows uh, better. You know, when I'm, I'm actually typing when I'm writing. Uh, So that I actually started writing to kind of get away from some of the, I, I loved my career and everything like that, but I actually wanted to do something a little bit more creative. And that's when I started writing. So what did you do in the Air Force? Were you a pilot or did you have one of those other cool jobs that I, had, I, was, officers? I was I was behind a green door. So I did stuff like uh, weapons and tactics and uh, targeting and mission planning. So, you know, I worked closely with a lot of the aviators uh, in that aspect. So did you get to see the aliens in, in the um, area <clears throat> we won't talk about because Nick's computer broke the last time we did? Oh, um all I'll say is if you come out here like during any of those parties to not rush the gate, I don't recommend it. <laughs> um, I actually will be arrested and like they're they are waiting for you and they will laugh at you. The sheriff will throw you at the clink and uh and charge you bail to get you out. So just I, I would say just don't do it. <laughs> I, I like yeah, the clink. That is an older word for for the for the who house and uh, I'm I'm here for it. I actually, when they did the whole area, Stormy Area 51, I hosted the uh, an anthology on it because I was for sure it was going to be the Woodstock of our generation. But then the FBI came and, you know, cock blocked the hell out of that one. And there went our party and then the sales didn't follow. <laughs> but, yeah. but I thought that was pretty funny. I so. will tell you like that. Okay. So as far as like the alien thing. So if you are in Las Vegas or the air driver ground, the alien jerky they sell at gas stations is actually pretty good. Like I don't oh, need to be it's like really good. So if you're looking for a, a, a snack, like that's what I would pick up. And it's probably a lot healthier than the stuff that they have there. Now I'm wanting to go full Wednesday Adams and be like, is it made with real aliens? <laughs> so it actually started in Baker, California. Alien jerky started yeah. in okay. Baker, California. At um, It's called Alien Jerky, the actual storefront. And it has a big UFO out front. And that's where Alien Jerky started, and it finally made its way into Vegas, which I thought was like the most appropriate place for it to settle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I actually think we need to revisit our alien discussion now that all the Senate hearings have come out, and get guests that are more um, enthusiastic. Um, ours were trying to be all serious and professional and dignified. Ain't nobody got time for that. So. <laughs> We, we just need to get everyone liquored up and then we'll have a fun old chat where, where Nick's computer doesn't break. So, yep. um, you know, we, this is, would not be the blast and blaze if we didn't do the religion question. So we've got to, we've got to okay. nail this out. We don't want to make Marissa mad. She stabs people. So uh, Star Wars, Star Trek or Firefly. Okay. Um, first off, I think uh, we need all three. I am just starting to get into Firefly because of this podcast, actually. Um, okay. Because I was Googling uh, some of the shows and that show, I was like, wait a minute, I wanted to see that. It had, I had recognized it. So I started watching it and uh, I haven't gotten too many episodes, but I do like it, you know, the the Space Western. Um, Star Wars is probably my first introduction to uh, science fiction and fantasy, but if you're going to ask me what I have emotional connection to, it would probably be Star Trek because I'm just used to go like it was in my living room all the time when I was a kid. They would have uh, 
different stories where uh, Captain Kirk and his crew uh, went, you know, different planet, um, different kinds of people. And I just, uh, and I still have the nostalgia for that to this day. And I thought that they, you know, did a good job with the movies and uh, Chris Pine uh, standing in for like that earlier version of Kirk. Uh, The later version of Star Trek with Jean-Luc Picard was, to me, actually probably a more realistic leadership style, you know, with with the crew there and, and number one and everything. That's probably way a more modern space fleet would run things. Um, but, you know, the character of Captain Kirk is, uh, is a fun one. Yeah, he's he was kind of like the Genghis Khan of the like the nerdy sci-fi world because yeah. you know they they say like something like two thirds of the planet is related to Genghis Khan in some way, and I imagine two thirds of the galaxy is going to be related to, to Kirk after a while, <laughs> just because that man had a had a love affair with the aliens. So like, yeah, he had a lust for the uh, a lust for life, you might say, a lust for life and aliens. So he he was probably starting franchises in each galaxy he was in. <laughs> You know There's, they have a Star Trek Star Trek convention here in Vegas, right? No, I did not. Yeah, yes, they do, and I think they're going to have another one in November. I got to take a look at it because, like, if William Shatner like actually showed up, I mean, he's like in his nineties now. Like, I would totally go down there. And be, have you seen the new show he's doing? Have you seen the new show? So he, so William Shatner's doing a new show where it's got a bunch of, it's like a vote them off the island kind of show. Only it's vote them out of the habitat, and they're doing a like they're supposed to be living in a mock Mars colony. Uh, and going through actual missions like astronauts would out in the desert somewhere. I don't remember where they're filming it, but it, I know it was, you know, one of the, in the Sierra, I'm pretty sure. Mars. Yeah. Supposedly it's like a mock-up for people that would be going to Mars, like what to expect. Cause you know, Elon Musk's all in the news. Uh, my favorite, yeah. some of the co- favorite cosplay I've seen is this lady who's all green and very pregnant. And it's like Kirk was here is the sign she's holding. <laughs> that's, um, that's pretty good. And the, yeah. uh, that's funny. I have to check out that show now that you describe it. That I will. I will have to look yeah. it up because I saw the trailer for it. It should be starting soon, and maybe maybe we'll do an episode where we actually do a, a series review of that one because that sounds like Nick would enjoy it too. Oh. Uh, and it, the other favorite one is they did a you know have you seen the commercials where you might be entitled to compensation? The lawyers for you know insert yeah. whatever. There's some of those set up like if you're related to Captain Kirk, you might be entitled to back child support. And some of the fans put this together. I saw it on YouTube. It was hilarious. Unfortunately, they got they got copyright struck, so it's not around anymore. But oh, it was gold. <laughs> so, all right, uh, because we are polytheistic, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or the Wheel of Time. This one's pretty difficult. Um, I I will say I have not read the Wheel of Time books uh i try to watch some of the amazon series um and i don't want to judge the books by that because i i had a hard time getting into the uh series it 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 might be a fine show and everything like that i i really don't want to choose between games of thrones and and tolkien i mean i i think we need both for you know different reasons i was just down at the las vegas bookstore um which is an indie bookstore here, and they had, and now I'm thinking about it, and they, they just got the first edition, like they get like some rare books of the Lord of the Rings, and they have the whole trilogy, uh, down there, and so I'm looking at it on their Instagram page, going, okay, should I call and ask how much this is? This is a first edition, <laughs> hardcover, um, and then they had like another edition down there, the one where the author, it was him, not his son, actually like drew the map. Uh, one of those editions. Um, 
So we need Tolkien. It, I need Game of Thrones for HBO. I just do. So. <laughs> I know one of the ladies we've had on the show, Kristen Catherine Rush, actually opened an indie bookstore, I think, in Vegas somewhere, too, because she moved down there for the weather. Um, so there's a lot There's a lot of good stuff going on in the indie book scene. I, I suspect it's probably tax-related because uh, Nevada's a very tax-friendly state. We are. That's what we I'm told. We income tax. No income tax, just sales tax. So that uh, that's one of the places it might be worth visiting. So next time we, we send Marissa there, we will have to have Stabby buy us some alien jerky and make it a trip. Then it's tax write-off, Nick. Get to that. That's tax write-off. Why do I need to go to Vegas? Deanna's right there. <laughs> yes, but, but she's, she's got Vegas. family there, so she can write, it, write off the trip for taxes and visit her family. Oh. All right, fine. Okay. The in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. And this is the um, Marissa wants it. Stabby wants us to prove that we're not uh, we're not troglodytes. So we've got one more religion question for you. Are you ready for this? Uh, okay. Coffee or tea, and how do you take it? We will judge you. There is a right answer. <sighs> I drink both. Um, okay. I, but Peace if you want me, I get it. I, no, I I. I like caffeine. It just depends. I start the day usually with coffee, but for some reason, when it gets cold out, um, I like tea. I don't. I don't know if that's counterintuitive, but like, I'll take Earl Grey a lot of times in the morning. It's like your taste uh, buds change with the colder weather. Yeah. So I have um, right now. I have like a Ninja coffee maker because um, I like my coffee really hot, um, and it's right now. I have a Black Rifle coffee subscription. And uh, I use just a little bit of a, a natural creamer because I don't like when all a bunch of junk in there. I'd like to taste my coffee. Uh, I did use Nespresso pods for a while. I still use them, you know, every now and then. But uh, I, I, I've been sticking to this subscription lately. So we actually are talking with a company about a sponsorship that is a coffee company. So we've decided before we say yes, we have to sample it. So we both, uh, Stabby ordered right. for her household, and I ordered some for mine, and we're going to try and make sure it's actually good. Because the last thing you want to do is pimp something that tastes like garbage, right? That's right. Yeah. But uh, we're, we're so addicted to coffee that we had a, a sponsor reach out. We spent one accidentally on purpose, maybe. We spent the first half hour just talking about coffee with one guest. <laughs> it was glorious. We blame like, Marissa. Hey, man, we got to get, get on task here. <laughs> Stabby was like, no, back to the coffee. So yeah. when it gets cold, do you like things like hot chocolate or what is it, uh, steamed apple cider? Uh, I mean, I, like if it's – if I want dessert or something, I'll, I'll get a hot chocolate. But uh, Dessert, okay. You know, because it's, uh, it's something like that. But uh, it's usually coffee and then – it's usually most of the time coffee. But sometimes I'll get on a tea kick. Like I said, I like the way um, hot apple cider smells, but I've never liked the way it tastes. You never have you, you tried Glühwein if you're talking about hot dessert drinks? No, I have not. I've never even heard of that. That's a spiced wine. I was introduced to that at like my first assignment uh, in Germany. So when it's really cold, it's it's pretty tasty. Nice. I learned to be careful when people recommended alcoholic beverages to me. Uh, the first okay. time they let me try sake, I ended up. Uh, in a gutter left alone in downtown Charleston. It was bad. I do not recommend it. And it's smooth. So it goes down. And before you know it, you're like, you know, what it's universe am I in? I know it's, it's mixed it dangerous. 
when you try to stand up is when you feel it. You're like, oh, I've made up. I messed up. <laughs> Let's just say I, I barely managed to much. sober up before the wedding. But, you know, so note to self, if you're getting married, don't do your bachelor party the night before you're getting married. Do it like a week so you can recover, get electrolytes in you. I happen to oh, have it was a, your wedding. Yeah, it was my wedding. I happen to have oh. a best friend that was a combat <laughs> medic, so he hooked me up with the idea of life, and so I was I was able to function. But I, I do not recommend it to anyone over the age of like twenty two because your body stops recovering so quickly. Um, all right. Okay. So with that with that being said, um, what got you into writing? Because you know you went from Air Force and whatever your your civilian top secret job of hiding the aliens in the alien WITSEC program. Oh, we're not supposed to talk about that. Sorry about that. Yeah. We'll edit that out. We'll edit that out. But you know, when you're not um, hiding the uh, the Martians, you obviously- actually, Yeah, so, so to answer this, I actually, that was like the first job I saw myself doing as a kid, writing, okay? And then, you know, I discovered like being a creative is like really hard to sustain, or I learned that pretty early. Then I thought, well, maybe I should get into publishing. And then I was like, well, then I have to live in New York. You know, this is, you know, before like the internet and everything like that. And then, you know, I got in the Air Force. It's so what got me started writing again was two things. Uh, one, when my kids were like really little, you watch them, you know, discover things and uh, create things. And I was like, you know, I, I kind of miss that uh, part of myself. And number two, there was an author, a local author that had a series of lectures at a library like five minutes from my house and he was a fantasy author and i was like i'm not doing anything i don't have any excuse i'm just going to go and listen uh he was very he's very engaging and he would just give a series of lectures on how to write and i sat there for about a year before i wrote anything he would come once a month and he'd, he'd like talk about a different uh topic of writing and I would just sit there and take notes. And like, finally, at the end of the year, I wrote a short story. I was like, yay. And then I was like, okay, I need to write more. <laughs> so that's how I started. Okay. So what is it that made you pick, you know, sci-fi and fantasy? Because there's lots of things you could write from romance to mysteries to thrillers to whatever else the cool kids are reading. What made you kind of narrow down to sci-fi and fantasy to speculative fiction? Yeah. Um it's well, I, I read a, a wide variety of genres, but I just like all the different possibilities that science fiction and fantasy could offer. It's like, I don't want to be in the real world. Put me in another world somewhere else uh, with different characters, with different abilities. Um, and then let's go from there and let's have some fun. Good answer. Okay. I like that. Escapism. Let's bring it back. Yes. Yeah, I like that, you know, it's one of the things, and there are authors whose politics and, you know, worldviews I agree with, and I still think get too preachy, and I realized if I wanted to get preached at, I'd be at church. I kind of read to have fun and escape, so I like it that there seems to be almost a resurgence of other authors that are like, yeah, the real world sucks enough. We don't need to drag it into our fiction, so it's kind of nice. I told an author friend of mine who who does a Mill sci-fi also. I was like, dude, I agree with your politics, and even that bored me to tears. Please remove it. <laughs> yeah. Well, or, or water it down a bit, or use some subtext, right? Like yeah. show show what it happened. Like I could, like I could really appreciate, you know, a story if there's themes in it that maybe I wouldn't have thought of, or, um, 
you know, even if I don't agree with them, but if they're really masterful and how they crafted and it's like really entertaining and it draws me in, I'm like, that's a good story, you know? Yeah, so, um, subtext. I, yeah. I, I prefer that. Yeah. So I will say themes in, in, in the subtext is something that nobody's ever convinced on an argument on the internet where you're yelling back and forth in all caps. But there are times where I've read a well-crafted story and I've thought, oh, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way. And I have, you know, dove deeper and changed my changed my opinion. So I do think it is um, a valid way to do it. So are there any themes that, you know, because you're is a military veteran and someone who writes kind of military themed stuff. Are there any themes that sort of resonate with you the most that you try to bring into your fiction? Well, I, I, well, I could talk about it in, in relation to the one story. I like right now, the last couple stories I read in had to do with like technology and just like how it affects uh, re intimate relationships, you know, with people. Okay. So in Children and Alphios, um, it's got a dystopian uh, flavor. Uh, it's a science fiction. Um, and so genetic engineering is in it, you know, and there's been a lot of uh, authors that looked at genetic engineering, uh, but I did want to look at it a little bit differently, you know, kind of a market-based society where there's like a governing uh, corporation. It does take place uh, on another planet. Um, and I do it from a motherhood perspective um, because okay. a lot of uh, not, it, it's more in fantasy. You'll see, um, you know, them have like, like the strong mother characters, you know, queens and whatnot have you. I don't see it as much in the science fiction, but one uh, filmmaker who actually does put it in there a lot is James Cameron. You know, like he did that with Terminator uh, and Sarah Connor. He did it with uh, Ellen Ripley in Aliens. Uh, so before I get off track, because your original question was about some of the themes. So I, I look at like technology and like how that affects intimate relationships. That's like where I am right now. So, and this is going to sound kind of cliche at this point because the movie's older did you watch um demolition man where their their take yeah. on what modern um interpersonal connections between the um the genders might look like for future pairings i'm trying to keep this family friendly yeah but, you know with the headset and the virtual reality yeah because with uh sylvester stallone and sandra bullock i i actually need to like probably turn that on like my kids all uh like they'll like some of those old 80s and you know 90s uh movies and um and watch it with us because that was like they present it as like this idealistic society right but then Sylvester Stallone is in there and um and he finds out it's it's really actually quite totalitarian right uh the right. way that they use control uh over people but yes I understand what you're talking about with the visors and and all that kind of stuff yeah. so and I think that's like one of the appeals for like science fiction for people who read it for authors you're like because you're constantly asking yourself like okay what makes us human how does this change us right what are we evolutionary uh geared towards you know and and what is what would a society that's organized differently uh look like that's actually a topic Nick gets really deep in when when we get him a few drinks in about the concept of transhumanisms and where where you your humanity starts and stops and where something else begins because that's something the comic book industry dives into a lot with their superpowers. Oh, is that's that, our bread and butter. Is yeah. that something you've considered? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you asking me or Nick? No, no. I've, no Nick he's asked me that a million times. Okay. No, he's asking you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was just listening, like, because Elon Musk, you know, he keeps talking about, like, Neuralink, and there's 
there's like good things about it. So when I do, and I've read stories where uh, there's that technology because there's like the post-humanism and then there's the transhumanism, right? They're like slightly different flavors, but it involves that actually, uh, without saying any spoilers, like I do explore that in my book. Okay. Mm-hmm. That sounds interesting. Um, I will say that, you know, it didn't really sound originally like something that I'd be interested in. And then the more in the pre-show you talked about, it, I'm like, I think I'm going to have to read that. And my TBR pile is already like a million stacks deep. Yeah. Like if we lost the internet today after all the, just with the books I've already got, like I've got a lifetime of stuff I still need to read. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> but I'm adding yours to the pile. There's, it's like, there's more books than like there's, less time and lots of good books right so yeah yeah and, and i realized that buying books and reading books are almost two separate hobbies yeah it's just like the like comics i got a stack of comics from my pull bins from local comic book shops that i need to get to my real life keeps getting in the way and i'm like oh, i'll get to you uh friday morning between eight and nine i gotta schedule them like appointments <laughs> i see so, do you have wonder woman behind you is that wonder woman on your wall uh like, yes like the I dolls got, okay now that I is got, like, three figures of her okay yeah no i i have a lot of those comics of her so yeah oh they're so great. Did you, Depen- depending on the run yeah uh, there some- did you like the gal gadot um version of wonder woman the movie i did you know what i thought when they first cast her i was like i had like a different picture of an amazon in mine um, yeah. was but it china like, from the wwe because that yeah that was like my, i i was like, like she needs muscular yeah like i had uh, a, a different picture and I'm like but I thought she did uh, you know really good job and uh, uh, with it and I and, and I enjoyed it you know especially the first one the second one they try to get like into the 80s which you know I do appreciate you know um, all the music and stuff like that but it felt like a little bit different uh, flavor than the first one it was a yeah a complete 180 is from the yep. tone of the first one yeah and so I'm sure I, that was intentional yeah but at least like the first one you know then they they had her on Amazon Island and you could see like how, like the origin piece of that, um, which uh, I think is part of the allure of that story. Big little, uh, of yeah. all, all superhero stories, you know, but particularly. Uh, for that especially one. ones that are like, they're gods. She's a, she's a daughter of Zeus. So um, I like when they go back to Thermoskia and show her childhood and her learning to be this Amazon, you know, warrior. Uh, it's really cool. I enjoy those yeah. parts of those shows. Plus, and you know, Chris Pine, you know, he's like sitting there as the only guy looking around, you know, while surrounded by all these Amazonian women who could probably hurt me if they wanted to, but you know, he rolls with it. But he still does a little Kurt, you know, Captain Kirk with him. He's like, if I got killed by these women, it'd be worth, it'd be worth it. Right. <laughs> all right. You know, so he's a typical soldier. He is. He fits in. But all of my favorite superheroes were always soldiers first. That's why I'm, I'm all about Captain America. Go on. I'm surprised you're not a huge Nick Fury fan. And, you know, I'm just not as deep into it. I kind of got into comics because my my youngest, it's kind of his obsession. So, like, I've I've watched all the shows and read the, the novelizations because he doesn't like picture books. But he, he doesn't mind reading the, the chapter books ver- versions of them. Um, I don't know. He just everybody's different. I'm not going to, I'm really not hating on it. I've read a few graphic novels that were pretty amazing, but uh, so I've, I've learned about it in by proxy mostly. So oh, yeah. we've all got to have our passions. And what was that stabby? 
Um, the I was saying that the um, the DC bombshells are actually some of my favorite comic books to read and some of my favorite figures to own. They have Wonder Woman looking like Rosie the Riveter. Oh, I nice. Cool. Yeah. It, so, it kind of does a thing. <laughs> so, Nick, uh, we're going to put this in the show. We're going to have to make a, a note to come back to you so we don't bogart uh, Deanna's time. But we should definitely do an episode where we talk about indie versions of the kind of favorite comic book characters we like so we can support independent authors. Because like, if you like Captain America, you might like, you know, insert comic guy here. And, and, and that'd be, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Uh, and have some of your indie author uh, comic book guys come on. Oh, geez. I got so many friends. Though. They're going to be. Hold on. How do I phrase this? No, that's going to sound weird. Nope, that's not kid friendly. I have a lot of friends that'll do that. Okay, sounds like a plan. We are going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly show for the man, and then we're going to jump in and talk about Deanna's novel. Grab your swords and get ready to level up. When gaming journalist Ray experiences a tragic accident with the next generation of gaming consoles, he finds himself stuck in the mystical land of Valka, trapped in a world filled with magic beasts, warring factions, filthy bandits, and a level system that's out of this world. The only problem is, his only way out may be through. Ray must fight like his life depends on it, because it just may. Survival means victory, and defeat could mean the end. Forever. Legends Online Genesis releases on Audible January 7th. Digital and hard copies now available on Amazon. Wow, we really should get him to update that because that was last year when he recorded that. So it's been out for a year. Still a good novel. I recommend it. So Jared gives it four stars. Check it out. I, you know, I haven't like dove into lit RPG because some of it's so crunchy that it's just too much math for my fiction. Um, I don't mind rolling dice on occasion, but like reading about it, like in the lit RPG style seems a little, I don't know. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't mush in my head very well. So. It takes. It, it took me a while to get used to it. Uh, with I understand there's a difference between game lit and game. Was it game lit and game fiction? There's like two different kinds where one's like less mathy, and yeah. I just lit RPG game lit. And there's a few other terms they use. Um, I definitely something I want to get into more because I like games. I mean they're fun. But uh, speaking of fun, so Deanna, like, mm-hmm. how did you come up with the concept that became your novel? Um. So, so for, I knew I wanted to write something a little dystopian and I was looking at uh, genetic engineering. We have, um, had some family members, we were uh, managing, you know, some medical conditions and stuff like that. And, uh, I wanted to explore it as a theme. Uh, like I said, so that's, that's essentially how I got started writing it. I had an idea of where I wanted to go with it, but I wanted to, like I said, that analytical, you know, part of my brain, uh, wanted to look at it, like what a whole society like that would look like constructive. Uh, I did set it, uh, on another planet because I could play, uh, with some things, um, with the climate and the weather. It's a circumbin, circumbinary star system, right? So there's two suns that orbit, uh, around each other. Um, I did have to make it stable because humans are habit are inhabiting this planet, right? They're uh, from Earth, and so the the planet goes around those two stars, uh, the center of mass, uh, right there. And uh, so I put a colony on there, and it's the last remnant of human society. So Earth is pretty much gone. 
Um, I don't give too much backstory in my book about what happened, but you know, there were some Oort cloud disturbances. If you know, people want to, you know, run with that and look it up of climate. So uh, it's about a mother who has uh, a baby with a DNA anomaly in this genetically engineered colony. And because he is born uh, really different than everybody else, she decides that uh, the governing corporation wants to exploit him and she picks up on that. So um, she's going to go on the run and she's going to live uh, among the fringes of society who happen to be naturally born. So uh, there's deference there uh, in the society. And, uh, and then, like I said, uh, with the two sons, I do some things with the climates. Uh, there's some gamma storms there that uh, occur frequently. So there are reasons uh, why the population is genetically uh, engineered. Uh, it's safer. Uh, the women don't um, carry the babies. They're just dated uh, by the corporation. So she is trying to figure out exactly what they want with him. Are you a fan of some cake? Um, you see a lot of that in dystopian, well, just media in general, uh, books, movies, things like that, where corporations like replace the government. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, it may be a personal question, but do you think that's kind of where society is going, not just in the United States, but kind of globally? Like we just have these conglomerates that are making the decisions. Do you see truth to that? Um, you know, when I started this like seven years ago, I'm like, this was just a fiction novel. <laughs> or yeah, it was supposed to be. Um, like, like, I do think it, it, that, uh, yeah, so someone put, yeah, this is like, so if you want to think of like the movie Gattaca, but on another planet with a mom, like, yeah, that is my book. That's my pitch for my book. If you like Gattaca, like on another planet with mom, <laughs> then that's a story. I like that, that, yeah. that was a really good movie. I, I thought yeah. all those actors gave great performances for that type of environment um at least it wasn't like robocop you know ocp right. running stuff yeah i think like um corporations have always had lots of influence it's just that i feel like technology has amplified everything you know and maybe we're just yeah. like just much more aware of it it's like just uh much more in our face and uh it, it, you know they i mean there is innovation happening i don't you know, want to knock the private sector in that way. But, you know, it also comes with some other things that you have to think about. Yeah, like dealing with the FDA or, you know, CDC or stuff like that or yeah, um, all so, kinds of things. Mm -hmm. No, that's real interesting in that there's a, man, I don't know, man, I don't want to ask this question because it might be a spoiler. Um, the child that's born with the uh, genetic anomaly. Um, mm -hmm. Was there any type of medicinal help or push in that? Or do you think it was just, or did it, or did it like uh, appear naturally? I know you, you're talking about genetic engineering and things like that, genetic manipulation. Well, he's supposed to be genetically engineered because everybody, including her, and so I probably should set this up. So she's phase one, meaning she's completely healthy. Okay, so because she's okay. had everything, all the diseases edited out of her germline. Um, and because of the radiation from the gamma storms, and that idea came from, we actually have uh, gamma terrestrial flashes here on Earth. Like, I don't know if you do that, but they like take at the, they're usually at the top of thunderstorms. Um, mm -hmm. But I was reading a NASA article about that. I'm like, hey, I'm going to put this on my planet. That sounds kind of cool. I'm just going to, you know, bring it down to the ground level and raise the stakes a little bit uh, for the humans living there. So uh, that is why the corporation does that. And the women want them to, right? Because everybody uh, 
wants their offspring to be born healthy and safe. And uh, so her partner is phase two, which is a little bit more advanced uh, genetic engineering where there's, they're starting to pick traits and, you know, dispositions of people. Uh, There are some things that they tie directly to genetics, but others will just give you disposition. But uh, the society is kind of uh, built around fostering that uh, the parents, you know, uh, selecting that and trying to channel, you know, their kid for a certain path. So, when they have the baby and he's born different, part of the mystery for her to solve is why this happened. Um, right. I w- I'll, uh, if I say it, I'll probably give it away, but. Um, oh, you don't do that. We want them to read it. We're, we're yeah. here to make sure that you get as many sales on this book as possible. So, um, but she's trying to figure out number one, how, th- how this happened. And it's actually the people who are like naturally born that have the answers. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they, they understand what's happening. And uh, number two, like, how do I how do I keep him safe from them? And what do I need to do to keep him off my back? Now, this society is it's so far into the genetic engineering part for every person, um, I guess, born. Um, are there any, I guess, like purebloods, naturally born, non tampered with DNA type people in there? Or is that society advanced past that? So that that's who is on the fringes of society that she's talking to. So okay, okay so the colony was set up as the the last known sanctuary for the ark ships for humanity uh, to settle in, um, and they set up the genetic engineering program. And it's an imperative for the human race to survive. But there's always a couple people. They're like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna live. Um, you know, by my rules, not yours. Um, right. They're in violation of the regulations. The society looks the other way because they're used for manual labor for a lot of things. Okay. Um, they have they they actually are miners because um, there's a mineral gilt spar on this planet uh, that is used to protect the uh, the inhabitants. Okay, that they have to build the buildings out of this stone because that's what protects the indigenous life there. Okay, so the planet has the, the resources for that from the radiation yeah. of the uh, the uh, the suns, right? That was, so. Okay, that's really cool. Um, a little bit of Paradise Lost in there too. Um, if yeah, you guys have ever read that book? Um, I, I love the I love those types of uh, those stories. I think that they really make you think about how society is and how your involvement in society is and the advancement of technology and could it be and so I will say I'll give a preview because this is like in the first chapter. So it opens with like her sitting there, you know, at the doctor's office with the pediatrician as they're examining the baby and the test comes up flag for something. And, you know, she's trying to figure it out. But so the gestation, um, the embryos are in genetically modified pigs um, because uh, we get a lot of transplants now, uh, organ transplants from, you know, pigs medically, but they've modified them uh, to have, instead of where you have a plastic sack, uh, at least with pigs, you have like um, a biofeedback loops, you have a placenta, things like that, you know, that it would allow. Uh, And you could pack a whole bunch of embryos in them at once to maximize your profit if you were a corporation. So when you came up with this idea, were you familiar with the um, the experiments that we did with the artificial wombs with like the lambs and the other animals? Yeah, I did look at that. And some people were like, like, what, you know, why, do, why don't you go that way? And I'm like, I, I, 
you know, there's a purpose why things are different in my book. I'll just leave it at that. Um, yeah, I've, yeah, heard, familiar. I've heard um, some authors even use it in the, um, for the idea of like, you know, abortion wouldn't be, and this is a hot button issue, so we're not diving into it, but okay, the idea <laughs> you could solve the abortion issue with artificial wombs because you didn't, wouldn't, you could get rid of the baby as the mother wanted, but not have to kill it as the pro-life. And it'd be like a perfect solution. Of course, I don't think anything's going to solve that issue because you're still going to have fundamental disagreements. But I do like the idea people are going down where let's advance our way through solu- uh, through the, the trouble so we can find solutions everyone can be agree on. The only problem I see with that is people just like to be disagreeable. So I think we'll find other things to fight about if it's not that one. But I said that to ask, when you design the society where where babies are gestated in artificial wombs, were you thinking along the lines of, of like what that would do to a culture? Yes. Yes. So, I mean, I think, I mean, I think genetic engineering is like, you know, already here, you know, they're already doing experiments. There's some, you know, off the grid doctors that you could find if you want a, um, a male fetus or a female fetus for, for whatever reason. So I do think we, it's, I think it's, we'll be here and we will have to deal with it and we have to figure out what it is a society. I mean, you know, the positive aspects of that is like, you can, um, you can do away with a lot of, uh, pain and suffering, you know, for somebody, but, uh, that's one hand, but on the other hand, there might be other implications that, uh, that affects society writ large. Yeah. I- so in China, I know they did the experiment and we'll probably never yeah. hear about the results where they did the, the doctor did the off books uh, experiment. He was trying to get rid of, make babies AIDS resistant because I guess that's a problem uh, mm-hmm. in some of the poorer communities. And so he sort of, uh, without permission from the parents or the government, he used CRISPR to, to give them a resistance to that. I do wonder, and I wonder if you factor this in, like as you try to balance the scales one way to negate one thing, do you, do you factor in when you're building this world what the knock-on effect might be? Like, okay, yeah, we're resistant to this now, but oh, by the way, we've got a weakness to this other thing because of it. Um, that starts becoming a little bit. Um, I'll just say I'm writing the sequel, and I and I put a little bit of that in there. So, okay. So you mentioned the sequel. So clearly then there's two books at least. Where do you see this story going? Uh, like I, see it, I see it being a trilogy and uh, and then I'll probably stop after that. So Not uh, stop writing, I hope. Not stop writing, but just move on to a different story in a different world. Um, but I did, you know, like... Um, like get a map drawn and everything like that, you know, uh, professionally, you know, produced uh, to where so people could see um, the continent and because they live in a in a river valley. And because of the two sons and because I, I did some research uh, with it, I was like, well, I don't want to make the planet tidally locked. Right. It could be it'd be like super hot in daylight all on uh, one side all the time and the other side would be uh in complete darkness uh but with a difference and the drastic variations in the temperature of the day because of the two suns um i just lost my train of thought 
Um, it'll come to me here in a second. Yeah, the, the two sons is definitely something that you're starting to see more of. I mean, we found proof that they obviously we know they exist, but be, previously we hadn't thought that there would be anything habitable on them. Yeah. So no, there is. So I, so what I have is I have a habitable zone, if you will. And when you look at habitability of planets, besides, you know, having water, um, the Kepler uh, telescope, uh, NASA telescope, there's a lot of Kepler star systems, uh, which are, they think, uh, circumbinary planets. And based on their distance and all that, um, that there's water on them and that there's a certain temperature range uh, within them that, that they think humans can survive. So uh, that's that's what I meant to say. So I have the map and I have the zone that's habitable. So they're in a river valley where there's like a sweet spot because there's a uh, there are oceans on the planet um, and there's and there's a supercontinent uh, essentially. Uh, there is a southern pole, but I don't really reference it because it's frozen down there. So it's not really geared. Uh, for human habitation. And so they're wearing, they're wearing like, so my main character, Alina, she's, she's also young. She's 21 because um, there's an emphasis on fertility uh, on this planet. And, you know, there is a deterioration. You, I mean, it's not as simple as like, Hey, just freeze your eggs and, you know, have kids, you know, this far down the road, there is a deterioration process, you know, with freezing. So you do kind of, want to hit women at their peak fertility, if that's an emphasis. Um, and she, she wears a climate suit uh, when she's outside. It just helps adjust. Like it might start out really cold in the morning uh, and be like super hot by the afternoon. And it depends on uh, the sun's position. Uh, so in the book, they go around each other uh, every eight days. So uh, people in the city, Alfio City, they'll see two sunrises and two sunsets a day, except for the one day they'll be an eclipse right? But the, that day is the, the weather is going to be a lot different. And they're going to uh, have different formations of the sun in the sky, like, you know, in the middle of that orbital period, they'll call it wedge formation when the two suns are offset 45 degrees. That's what they're going to look like. So so what her research, Nick, and what uh, the, the new telescope uh, is telling us is that as much as we made fun of back in the day, the solar systems that um, George Lucas designed, he wasn't totally wrong about all of his concepts of what some of these alien planets might no, have but No, but he didn't, our wasn't. Guest, our guest here went way down the rabbit hole for her research, and I commend you on that. Um, she doesn't want you to know this, but she actually talked to the aliens that really live there, and she's kind of borrowed their maps. <laughs> True story. Okay, they probably mentioned me, and hopefully they said pleasant things. <laughs> you don't have to but, tell us about what they did to you. It's okay. You could. It's uh, a, <laughs> I mean, you can sit well, again. They, so they didn't even laugh when I said the jokes on you. I'm into that stuff. Um, <laughs> they were like harvesting earwax or something like that. So, it felt so yeah. good. So Nick, uh, normally you know you go off on the cover. So what are you thinking? I'm I'm digging the this the the subtlety of this cover. What are you okay. thinking? I, I like it. Before I begin, though, I got to uh, retract myself. I said Paradise Lost. And I meant Brave New World. Yeah, Aldo and, uh, Huxley, yeah. I, I definitely didn't want Stabby to get some hate mail. Oh, Nick's an idiot. Do you know the difference? They're two entirely different stories. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. But my brain is a super highway in a warehouse where none of the filing cabinets are next to each other, nor are they organized, and it's run by monkeys that are hopped up on uh, coffee. So... That sounds like Warehouse 13. Good show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Yep. No, um, I think the, uh, going back to the art, now that I've kind of tried to save face, I probably failed. But I do, it's it's simple and it's very limited colors, but it's impactful. Uh, sometimes, a lot of times less is more. So you get a really good look at what the city, the technology, the architecture is like there in the background. Um, I do like it shows that it's a binary star system. Um, there's ships. I dig that. I like things that fly. Um, and you use well, less than 10 colors, which I think is good. Other than that, sometimes it overloads the uh, the eyes while looking at it. And I, I think everything's placed well. The t uh, typography is done well. Uh, the font. Did you have that font custom created? or? So, so we had a list of... Um... So I didn't have much say in my cover. What we had to fill out a sheet, but we had a list of um, cover designers that we could choose from. Mm -hmm. And so she actually didn't do too many sci-fi. She had like one or two, but she did a lot of fantasy. Uh, so this was done by uh, Jennifer Grief. And uh, so I, I gave her an idea of what the world looked like, you know, um, and I gave the blurb uh, of what the story was about. And I thought it would be cool if there were two sons. They, 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 they do. You are allowed to put in one or two things that you really want on the cover. But what they emphasize yeah. is, hey, it's got to be a thumbnail size. So it's not. We're not going to put a ton of stuff on the cover. Like so, if people are like clicking on you know things on Amazon, you know, and they're on their phone, it's got to right. pop out right away without. Um, all this other stuff on it. So that's what she came up with. She put the uh, shuttle, little space, you know, shuttle in herself, which I thought was a really nice touch because, you know, that kind of helps like nail down the genre. And I was like, I was really pleased with it, which, uh, which is a good thing because like, it, it was like, because I am with a, with another publisher. If you don't, you know, I've talked to other uh, authors who are, they didn't like their cover. They're like, well, you know what? We like it. And that's what we're going with. <laughs> right. It's kinda, um, I, I will it, say it. It's, I will it's say it is color. Nick, Nick, hold on. I will say, cause <laughs> I will say this is colorblind approved. I can actually see the double suns. So you get, you get bonus points for that. Most of the time I'm just clueless on the covers. I just smile and nod. Well, the cover looks like it's uh, the sunrise. Cause you talked about two sunrises, two sunsets. Um, was that something that was on that list that you put down to emphasize that it was like a sun rising over Alpios or? No, I just, I just said, Hey, could you put a, a futuristic city? By the way, it, there's two suns. It's on another planet. Um, and that's what she came up with. Okay. No, I think it's very impactful and our colorblind friends can enjoy it also. Um, the color palette is pretty awesome. So, uh, whoever you hired, they, uh, Give them a shout out. They did a good job. Yeah. So, and uh, so the fun part also of that, sorry. I mean, we could talk about it a little bit more is um, I do come up with some, I, that's the fun part of sci-fi to have fast and cool aircraft. Um, yes. So uh, I was really pleased that she did that because I do come up with like a couple different aircraft in there. Um, courtesy of, I do have a scientific aviation advisor at home that I'm able to talk about with that. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. Uh, That's cool. but there's like a hover jet, you know, in there. And uh, 
Uh, and there's some other bigger aircraft. More helicopter or VTOL? The hover jet is, uh, has VTOL capability. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I normally, VTOL, vertical takeoff and landing. So it's a jet, but the end, the wings fold to point the, the jet down to lift and then back to push. Like an Osprey or a Harrier? Yeah, basically. Okay. Yes. Then I do know what a VTOL is, and now I feel dumb. So, so blades that spin to lift or jets that, that blow whatever, fusion, whatever. This is the extent of my knowledge on tech, okay, people? It's like squeeze, bang, blow for a turbofan engine. Yes, see that. That's how it goes, yep. Metal tube That's chicken how... fly with wings. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, this is one thing you Sorry, learned. I'm in the Air Force, so I did, I did learn some of this stuff. <laughs> I hope so, because I'm a grunt. I was in the Army. So it's like, yeah. oh, metal tube that flies, get inside, hope not die. You know, very caveman-esque of us. <laughs> I call so it down Barney style. Once. I as long as you have a good pilot or, or a good crew, you'll be fine. <laughs> we had a couple I, I of helicopter pilots. Those. I still don't understand this. Like <laughs> Go, Nick. I'm muting. Right <laughs> <laughs> like, <Matt>. now, <laughs> No, um, just helicopter pilots that saw us baking in the hot Iraq sun while we're on a foot patrol, and they would fly down just enough to just kind of take some of the heat away. And I thought that was the coolest thing. I'm like, cool. oh, they do care once we're out of the aircraft. <laughs> you had a different experience with the, with the Army aviation than I did. I just remember the one time we called air support, and they stood, hovered above us in the middle of a firefight, like, oh, we can't figure out if you're the enemy or the good guy. Uh, so we're just going to leave you. Bye. <laughs> okay, bye. Uh, so, I do have a funny story about Air Force aviation involving okay. a, uh, a C-5. Oh, okay. Um, so we we all get on here, and the intent is to jump out of this ridiculously large aircraft. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I don't think that sounds safe. So the crew chief, or uh, whatever the guy was, he had a headset. He looked important. He was checking doors and stuff. Probably a crew chief. Comes to me and he's like, we can't slow down long enough for a safe exit. I'm like, does that mean the jump's canceled? He's like, no. I'm like, so what are you going to do? He's like, we'll slow down just enough, but just above where we won't fall out of the sky. And it's really going to hurt you. I'm like, I don't think I want to jump anymore. He's like, that's up to you and God. And then he went away. <laughs> so did it so blow I, you like all over the place then? Oh, that I jump? got sucked out of there like an alien out of an airlock. <laughs> like I had like one toe out the door and they had like the, the wind blocks, like door thing. It's kind of vented, but it's like steel. And uh, I got one toe out and I was like, gone. And it was probably the hardest chute opening I ever had. Um, I broke three risers. Oh, wow. Or, okay. And... I sang like a choir boy for about 48 hours after that because my all the, the straps in the groin area tightened up. Everything tightened up. Yeah. It's like someone just very strong man on each strap was just like, oh, here you go. Now you're secure. And that was just for me getting sucked out of the aircraft. Um, so two risers, three, of course, I don't know. But I looked and yeah, there's the snap uh, little lines there. And I'm like, oh my God, I surprised this thing didn't just come right off the off the chute so um, yeah. yeah it was but just to, the conversation beforehand had me really scared 
Well, we're glad you're still here because I needed you later. Uh, so one of the things I will say is the Air Force, uh, we did some resupply runs to the Air Force out of Al Takundum, and they had the uh, the old Iraqi uh, air base was there. And so the Air Force converted it. This is the picture you're looking at on the screen with about the Wonder Woman invisible jet. This I don't know where this one was taken. I just grabbed it off the internet. But they did one of these at Al Takundum when I was there. Uh, where they had just a wheel <laughs> and the, the thing to climb into the cockpit uh, with the Wonder Woman sign. So some of the Air Force there had a sense of humor in 05 when I was there. So that was my experience with the Air Force when I was in Iraq. <laughs> and then we were relieved by you guys, but, you know, that was as we were leaving. Uh, yeah. yeah that's cool. But they had a sense of humor, which I thought was hilarious. That's good. I, so, I'll say I never jumped out of aircraft, so I don't ever. Got, you got that ever. on me. I, I, I tend to like staying in them. <laughs> I, every jump was a night jump because I closed my eyes. Oh, I, I'm yeah. definitely I afraid of heights. I wanted to go airborne, but um, I got hurt before. I, I was actually slotted to go after my second deployment, but I got the uh, the old medical retirement instead. Um, although I, I'm weird, Nick. I only wanted to jump out of planes because I'm afraid of heights. Bro. A quarter of my body is filled with metal due to a jump accident. I am one quarter Wolverine, and that is thanks to the airborne. So, and if if I had to go back to my eighteen year old self, I'm like, dude, the hundred and twenty five dollars a month isn't worth it. Stay. Away. I don't know that I would have wanted to go <laughs> as hardcore. I, I would have been happy probably being a five jump chump. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. So, uh, Deanna, so you've talked about this series and where you kind of think it's going. Um, but obviously you're more than just one series because, you know, you, you got the long haul of the writing. So where do you see yourself taking your stories next? You've mentioned you read a little bit of everything in the pre-show from romance to uh, sci-fi and, you know, all the dystopian things that have become modern science. So, uh, you know, at the time of recording, we're not being doom and gloom, but they did find a strange new virus from the, the trenches of Marianas that they decided to maybe it would be cool to bring up. I'm just saying, no, we saw that movie. In it's 2023. Leave it alone. That's right. Leave just it Leave there. it where you found it, bro. There's flowers oh. blooming in Antarctica. Also leave them alone. Yes. So with that being said, uh, we don't want you to encourage the uh, the fates to more bad ideas that you're writing for your dystopian. So are you going to write something more uplifting? So if they're listening to you, we maybe get a better future. I can write something, you know, more uplifting. I have a couple. I did. Yeah, <laughs> can I write something more uplifting? The, so the romance tends to be a subplot, you know, in my stories. And that tends to be like the uplifting, you know, piece of it. Because uh, okay. you need some beauty. Okay. Uh, and that's what, you know, romance offers. But, but it just tends to be a subplot that feeds in uh, to the overall plot. So it's just not all do a big loop. It's so funny you ask that. Cause I was just thinking the other day, I'm like, am I, uh, am I always going to write dystopian? And like the, I have several ideas, you know, for novels and they're all, they're all fairly dystopian. So. <laughs> do you think. You mentioned fancy talk for uh, quasi depressing. Cause you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. society well, kind of sucks. I do. We- I, yeah. <laughs> So but I do like of- happy endings. I, I will say that. So I don't want to say how this ends, but, you know, because it was when I uh, did this book, I was like, I could see the series potential, but I did want to give the reader good closure, you know, oh, okay. when they got to that sank their teeth into the first one. I was like, no, cliffhangers are for like later on in a series if you're um, getting yeah. it. So it's like you read the first book. If you like it, it gives you closure. But, and also because I didn't know if I could get this, you know, book published. 
Um, and uh, so we'll just take it from there. I have a couple, I mean, my, my fantasy stuff, I, when I do dabble in fantasy tends to be a little bit more uplifting, like, of you know, cause then in fantasy, it's like, you know, there's magic involved. There's usually good and evil, you know, that, uh, that kind of clash and you're, you're trying to conquer. So uh, the fantasy stories usually have a good outcome. So you mentioned so you like, to, you mentioned you like, so you mentioned you like dystopian and you've mentioned in the pre-show that you, you were a fan of some Westerns. Do you think that the, the link of man on the edge surviving against and in spite of the elements, it, it, the, that common theme is what you like? I, it's man. Well, man, man on the edge is part of it you know, right. And it's, it's also a larger question of how the entire system, you know, is, is set up as well. So if that makes okay. sense, but you're on the edge, do you understand if you're, if, are you part of the system or are you on the edge? So, so it's, a, it, it's like a frontier story. It's like you get so far and then you run out of space and you got to stop and create a society. Yes. So now those are, those are fun tales and get depressing too. And definitely. Yeah. Elon Musk has actually talked about the frontier, Nick. He actually said that one of the benefits of the space race and potentially colonization past Earth is that it gives the the escape valve for society that a frontier gives you because all the malcontents can take their ball and go home somewhere else. Just like, you know, you don't like England, come to the colonies. You don't like the colonies, go out west. I mean, eventually you run out of west. But the idea is, of course, if you've got somewhere to go, people that are perpetually unhappy can you know, expand outwards and we should expand inwards into the oceans that are not fully uh, explored. Once we solve the problem of not being crushed by the crushing depths, but so stories about aquanauts instead of astronauts, would you consider that speculative fiction? Well, definitely spec fic, but it could be sci-fi. Yeah, no, it would be, it would, it would be sci-fi. Um, you know, it's interesting. You're talking about colonization. I was just looking at, cause like everybody's pretty like familiar, you know, with like Elon Musk's um, it go, going to Mars and stuff like that. But there could be a case made for Titan, uh, which is one of the moons uh, near Saturn uh, because they are pretty sure that it's got, you know, a subsurface ice or, or water that you can right. tap into. And uh, it has a dense atmosphere. Unlike Mars, right? So unless they're going to put a dome on it or that that protects you from all that radiation or you're living underground, you could walk around theoretically uh, on Titan without pressure suits, but it's like super cold. So they would have to figure out, you know, that piece of it, you know, how to, you know, get you the right yeah, gear. A park is not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Um, but it has a lot of petrochemicals or... Um, not petrochemicals, but it's got like methane lakes and stuff like that or, and things right. uh, that they think they could use like for materials to build, um, to build human habitats and to, and to heat them, if, you know, as a power source. I think what so, would keep me away from Titan is that's where Thanos is from. And no. <laughs> there you go. So if you could, uh, if they started colonization and you could get there safely and your family was willing to go with you, would you do it? Would you, would you leave Earth? I've asked myself this. Um, can I come back? So if the answer is I could come back, then yeah, I, I, I would 
consider doing it. But if it's like a one way trip, like I actually read a short story, like, like it was like this company that put out these like little single, um, they ejected like these little single uh, compartments, you know, on the trajectory and it sends you to Mars and the parachute would open. And when you hit there, um, the beacon would uh, pop out and someone, you know, would come get you and leave you out. And those people were more on a one-way trip. And that made me think, I was like, if it was one way, um, I love, I don't know. I like the blue sky and ocean here. So probably no, I probably wouldn't go. I could see room for a colonization story that, that kind of mirrors what we did with Georgia and the United States or with Australia, where there were like penal colonies to get mm -hmm. like, you could rot in jail or you could start all over on this alien planet that might kill you. Yeah, but look, watch, it'll be like Australia where they got like the Huntsman spider and there's going to be like space titan Huntsman spiders that are the size of a Buick. And I'm just going to, as soon as I get on there, I'm going to get back on the ship. I'm like, I don't care how you get us back, get us back. Because <laughs> that's a no. <laughs> there, there is, I'm trying to think of that. Well, if it comes to me, there's that show on Amazon that The Expanse. Have you guys seen yeah. that? It's on my queue list. I keep getting... Uh, made fun of that I haven't seen it yet. So. Yeah, so, uh, but it's worth checking out if you like the whole causation with Mars idea and the federal, because like the people from, that have colonized Mars are, are it's interesting, they're pretty militaristic, so. Like the Makos from Star Trek? Because I'd be a Mako. Yeah, so check it out, you might like it. Okay, so are there any, one of the things that you see a lot of in dystopian sci-fi is this idea of the one world government which uh, or the the corporation, which none of that makes sense to me because it's just you know we can barely control our our little corner of the world and, and you know the idea that governments would get more efficient the more you scale out just doesn't track. I mean AIs maybe, but that's a whole nother scary future. Um, do you think there are some uh, political organizations that that make more sense to you when you're looking at sci-fi? Like you went in this story, the children of how do you say Apophis? Alpheos. Oh, it's the river. It's the river okay. there, the river valley. That's what it's named after the city. Oh, okay. Um, uh, but uh, so there is a government there, um, but it's like a fledging government. The reason why the corporation is in it is because they had the technology to get everybody there. So that's okay. kind of how they call the shots. Um, but there was a small, like, somewhat democratic government that's evolved. Um, but the founder, um, and it's not too much in, in this book, but the founder was um, of the corporation were, was one of those men who uh, he's talked about a little bit. Uh, there's like statues of him, you know, everywhere. thought very highly, you know, of himself. I mean, there are, there are uh, people like that. And, um, That'll go on to, you know, conquer things and create these huge institutions. So, so that's how I solved that, you know, problem with my book. If you're talking about, you know, like government and scaling, but the second book, there's definitely, there's, there's problems in the government too. And that's, that's actually like a major subplot that runs in the sequel. 
one of the things I, that a lot of dystopian, you know, the the giant mega corporation type fiction ignores is at what point in time does a corporation become a government if they're the only polity? Because, you know, if you look at the concept of money, like how does that exist if there is nothing backing it? If it's just digital, it's just money because I say it's money, which is, you know, if your co corporation becomes the government, does it pay itself? Pro like it, it gets a little wonky when you try to think of like the underlying financial infrastructure that would support it because it becomes circular almost like a circular firing squad and so I, I think at a certain point almost when you do the the mega corporations and if there aren't more than one competing when do they stop being a company and when do they start being a government i don't know it's 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 a weird concept i don't think many people look at when they write those right um so i still think that you need some forms of currency as uh, just as a mechanism is exchange, as far as what's backing it, it's really the legitimacy of the institution, right? That says this is good, whether because we say so. And and they and usually, I guess here on earth, we're used to it like being a nation state and the coercive power of a state saying, you know, that's, uh, that's what we say it is. Now, it's a little bit more uh, intricate than that, you know, in a, in a global economy. And um, states can't just do whatever they want. Uh, but uh, so that's kind of how I handle the currency. I, I still think you need like some kind of uh, medium uh, of exchange. Uh, it's still a market economy, if you will. Um, to add on to that, um, we're talking about when does a business stop being a business, start being a government? Well, you start looking at um, how a business is uh, task org. And it fits very similar to how a military environment is. So you have an HR department, right? Mm -hmm. That's S. That's S one. That's personnel. Uh, you have uh, um, research and development, things like that. We'd call that S two. That's Intel. You know, you have operations. That's S three. You have supply and logistics. That's S four. You know. So if you and hell in Iraq. You couldn't get coin currency. You had pogs that you had. Oh, I remember those. Remember those? It like you you'd get dollar bills in your change when you went to the green bean or the PX or whatever. But as far as change, they gave you pieces of paper, cardboard. Sometimes I had a cool jet on there. Some sometimes it had guys, you know, foot foot soldier guys, infantry dudes just living the suck, you know. But if you look at a corporation and you look at the military structure, they're almost identical. And that's probably how government should run, too, is like the military. But send the hate mail to Stabby, as always, if you disagree. Um, yeah, it fits right in. You have, you have all the S shops in the military, and then you have all the divisions within a corporation that make things happen, just like the S shops are trying to make things happen within like a battalion well, battalion level. It's, it's interesting that you bring it up. I mean, it would be in the corporation's interest to have like, you know, an, an economic system there, right? right. So, internal one. so I think, I think that's, that was how, now when it becomes a government, I mean, it's, um, it's like, you know, what are the rules that like on a, you know, on a, on another planet, you know, when there's only a couple major players with the technology that, that people need to survive. Right. So Can you had something. I mean, if you want to know when a corporation stops being a corporation and wants to be a government, all you have to do is watch Resident Evil. 
because um, the Umbrella Corporation stopped being a corporation at some point and became the all-all be-all of um, how to survive and, you know, not become a zombie. So I'd say that a corporation stops being a corporation and becomes a government when zombies become involved. All right. right. So when you designed your planet, obviously you've got humans there. Did you um, design anything specific for like the plant life, the aliens? Because on the cover, and I'll throw that back on the screen real quick. The cover, the the plants are, I think, purple or black or something. I don't know. Colorblind, remember? Um, But they're definitely not green like we're used to or or the amber waves. Um, So did you factor that in? Like, you know, obviously this is just artistic flair. But when you were designing the planet, like how did you go about creating the, the the natural life there? Well, based on the climate and uh, you know, and looking at the type of uh, animals that would uh, that might be able to survive there, if I had to, I mean, so like Earth is our control, right? Like that's what we know as our uh, point of reference. So. Uh, they're reptilian in nature, but their skin changes uh, to adapt, okay, to uh, the temperatures. Uh, so that's how I did the animals. Um, for the plants, uh, the plants are somewhat similar on Earth, but uh, I made them blue just because the photosynthesis process is a little bit different uh, on this planet. And as you know, far as like a lot of the purple here that uh, the artist captured, it's the rocks that the gilt spart are, are in there like a dark purple and the minerals like a white vein through it like a granite that's that's what it looks like uh so that's it and she captured it like actually pretty well oh. so yes i did factor that all in thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah having that knowledge now looking at the cover it uh it gives me a lot more, I mean, I already had respect for the cover. I thought it was beautifully done, but it adds a little bit more insight into what I'm looking at, which as a artist dude, one of those artsy fartsy guys, uh, that type of visual information uh, really is impactful for me. So that's cool. So oh, I want to 3D print that now. Yeah, so- I do. I do some different things with the animals and that's for a purpose. They're like small details, like sprinkled you know, throughout the book and I'll just, I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that, but there's, do you, uh, there's do you go like really, that happen- oh, I'm sorry, finish your top, please. Sorry. No, no. So there are, they, they do have some like abilities that like aren't, um, some bioluminescence, you know, cause a lot of them live in the rock. So, uh, bioluminescence at night, um, they're able to digest this mineral uh, that's in this rocks. So that's also uh, is additional protection of the storms. Uh, this planet has a strong magnetosphere. Uh, so that plays into uh, the evolution as well, because like there's a lot of um, theories on when like the magnetic poles flip and everything. I don't know if, uh, if you know what I'm referencing when the magnetic poles flip, you'll, you might yes. see a big explosion in the type of uh, species that arise uh, here. Actually, that's like a big theory. So I reference that uh, in the book as well. So then would you consider this somewhat hard sci-fi since you certainly leaned more into the research-backed conceptualizations? Um, 
You know, it's kind of funny. I do put a couple of those details in, um, but I wouldn't consider it hard sci-fi because I don't like, I don't geek out on it because I just didn't want to do like an info dump, you know, exposition. Um, but like, I do have like a reader magnet that gets a little bit more, uh, into this stuff and background on the planet and with a, like a little, you know, depiction of the orbit and like the map that, uh, because I was talking to some people and they said, it'd be really cool if you did that. <laughs> so I was like, so I was like, yeah, I, I probably should, you know, so how, do they, um, how do they get this reader magnet? Um, they could go, uh, subscribe to my newsletter on www.dianafedorak.com and, uh, They'll get like a fantasy short story. I'm getting ready to, uh, I've already sent the re- reader magnet out there, but I'll probably uh, post a link to it and and set it up here to queue uh, very shortly here before the end of the month. Okay. Because so it's a, notes. Yeah, because it's a prologue, uh, if you will. And it's, um, and it captures like all that backstory and uh, information Uh and my main character understands it because she went through the Expeditionary Academy, um, which teaches them how to explore the planet. So, so they have to understand uh, all this. So it's her having a conversation with someone and also the history of why humanity, you know, came there and how the genetic engineering got started and all that. I don't normally buy in or buy into, I don't normally read like the YA Academy tropes, but the Expeditionary Academy sounds cool enough. I might actually be invested in a series like that yeah. for, for yeah. like this uh, score kind of thing. Cause it, that, that type of trope takes me back to like Dune where yes. it goes into the, the technical data of the flora and flana of like House Arconan, Atreides, you know, all the different planets, um, especially when you get to Arrakis. Um, that's kind of, that, I actually enjoy that stuff. I geek out over it. I'm like, all right, cool. This one's a silicone-based life form. And why is it a silicone-based life form? And it explains to you yeah. why it's a silicon, why that type of life form survives. Um, is, is there stuff like that going into like that prologue where it's like the Expeditionary Academy and she's like having that conversation? Um, some of that stuff is in there. It's I like, mean, it's, it's like, uh, it's like more on the planet, but now that, like I'm talking to you guys, I'm like, well, I could just expand it, you know, because the prologue is only like, it's like, it's like one scene in the map and uh, an excerpt from her textbook, her, you know, her uh, right. textbook, like I slid that in there. Uh, but the map is kind of cool. I did like some cool things with the terrain. So because I geek out on that kind of stuff, especially when I'm reading the story and there's a map and I'm like, oh, oh I love maps. Where is that in relation to, you know, uh, the Solomarian? Samarillion? The, the token book. Yeah, the token book where it has all the maps and it has all the, um, like the data sheets and things like that. It's a very boring read, but it's like a technical manual because that's what it is. Um, I, I geek out on stuff like, okay, they went from this part of the map to this part of the map. I'm like, okay, let me go to the map. I so, feel like Dora the Explorer. We're going to consult the map. <laughs> so when you um, you mentioned your your main character, the young lady with the with the baby uh-huh. and the problem baby, are there any secondary characters that are kind of near and dear to your heart? There are. Um, so there are. So 
Yeah. So where there's a baby, there's, there's a baby daddy. Right. So, um, normally, yes. Yeah. So, so he plays, he plays, uh, in there and, um, and there's an additional person, you know, that you meet, Ken, who's, you know, a pilot who like lives among the origins. Um, she does have some like mentors, like people, they're much older, uh, they're elderly, but they actually came from earth. So they do actually remember what society was like back then, how things were different. And that's how they're able to explain to her what's going on. So. That's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we have been going for about an hour and a half and, you know, we okay. promised to, to keep it at an hour because we can yes. keep keeping out. We're definitely going to have you back. You gave us a list of topics you like talking about. So okay. we're doing more discussions anyway. So we'll make that happen. But when you do your future projects, because Nick and I are map nerds, maybe it's the infantry in us, but we lived and died by our understanding of maps. I uh, live for topography. I mean, cartography <laughs> I, I is did, kind there of is like, some, Yeah, there is some topography I had. I had the gal who designed the map. Hey, this is a desert area. Make this more rainforest and, you know, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, nice. So do you plan on pushing that forward with other uh, projects you work? Are you going to do that? Um, it, It'll be part of the trilogy. She'll, she'll visit some of those places. So no, no, no. when you, when you move past the, the, this trilogy and you write your fantasy or other sci-fi, are you going to keep the trend of mapping out the world you write in? Or is that just a one-off? If it's if it's if it's a novel and it's I I probably will um, not for necessarily a short story but I think for novels now that I got the map for this one I I, I like them yeah <laughs> I take the hell out of that yeah um, yeah definitely keep that going yeah I think not enough people do that these days I I love me a good map so did you did you do that yourself or did you hire that out oh no I. I I hired it out. I mean, I actually do have like a pencil sketch when I, you know, you know, try to figure it out uh, from scratch. Like that was like the first thing I did, the world building. And I drew the colony and figured out the river flow and, you know, where the water was coming from and everything like that. But I actually had a professional do the map. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Just to pimp my own stuff. I'm a graph designer and I'm pretty good at drawing maps. So <laughs> who did you for, for a future novel, I'm just saying. Who did you who did you use? Are they uh, if you want to give them a shout out since they did such a good job? I I can't remember. She was really nice. I think she's I think it was a Ukrainian gal I found on Fiverr. Okay. And, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, Fiverr's and, a uh, great site for stuff. And like I was that. I was clicking through her work, and I was like, and yeah, she she was pretty responsive. And uh, you know, do you know what she sites. used? Do I know what? Do you know what she uses? There's Fractal Mapper that just did a nine, uh, ninth edition update. There is CC3, so Campaign Cartographer 3, which is the industry standard, but man, it has got a huge learning curve. And then there's the Ink, uh, Ink Arnett, I think it is, something like that, that everyone uses. Yeah, she, um, you guys, okay, so I'll have to like get in a sidebar with Nick and show him the map and maybe he'll, he'll tell me what what she used i just i just said i, I went um, i just pointed and said i want something that looks like that and now that you know you guys mentioned it i feel kind of i bad. will do the I'm, best i can to identify it but um i draw everything by hand based on my uh my knowledge from the military okay um oh so, so you, like, you hand draw it yeah i um one of my many roles in my 16 and a half years of service i was a uh a scout sniper so 
one of the things that we had to do when we were doing reconnaissance missions is draw a topographical map. Mm-hmm. So, and what we're seeing, our viewpoints, our lines of fire and things like that. So I got really good at it and I actually enjoyed it. I, there was some, it was very cathartic. It was very relaxing, you know, because yeah. you just, just you and a piece of paper and you're drawing lines. Like, oh no, wait, that, that don't look right. And I'm just constantly looking at the, looking at the scope, looking at that. I'm like, okay, yeah. Okay. So and then using range finders and all the lovely little gadgets they'd give us. Um, Cause they make you like a junior weatherman also. So um, I, lo- I know way too much about barometric pressure that I don't want to know. It oh, well, good. You'll understand later. that when I, I mean, so you understand with the drop in barometric pressure, then that is going to signify yeah. weather change, right? Good. Okay. So good that's, weather, that's bad weather. That's the kind of stuff I just slip kind of here and there in my book. So well, that, you do, you draw- I'm already going to bite. You don't have to sell no. it to me anymore. <laughs> So you mentioned that you have some action in your novel. So when you sand table that, like when you map that out in your head to write those scenes, are you like doing sand tables like us grunts did? Or are you picturing it in your head like an op order? Or did you just sort of write it by the seat of your pants and then went with it? Well, I know usually what happens in the action scene and then I just write it. So, okay. um, and I, and then like I pass it, like I said, to my aviation or scientific advisor to see if he understands it which is right, my, uh, my husband. So <laughs> if he, and if he understands what yeah. happens, and I know I'm on the, I, I know I'm on the right track. So. Outstanding. All right. So we asked you if you'd go to a space colony in the future, if that was a thing, but let's ask you more directly, if you could live on this planet in this colony that you wrote about, would you live there with your family? Well, it's a, dis- I'd visit, but it is kind of, um, it is a little dystopian. I mean, I, I definitely go visit it. I mean, they have <laughs> some, they, they do have some perks. It's a, it's a modern city. They're successful, you know? Um, the one thing I would do, okay. If I could in my book is there's a scene where she jumps in a hover jet, you know, with the character she meets uh, right away and, and they're, they're zipping around in it, you know, flying over the Valley. Uh, I would totally do that. That's what I would do if I could do anything in my book. The One of the, the, I think the most accurate on how a former military guy would handle a situation like that is the opening for Fifth Element where they've got uh, Dallas Corbin driving the taxi. Have you seen that movie? I know what movie it is, but I haven't seen it. He's like, he's like going in and out of traffic, breaking all the laws. He's punching the, the AI machine, trying to tell him like they're basically taking his license because he's so reckless. That is like every grunt I've ever known. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most realistic of a hover vehicle I have ever seen. As far yeah, as part of that movie was Chris Tucker, though. Flotsam Paradise, Green Green, Super Green. We oh, definitely need to do a review episode. We're just adding episodes. We need to. Do. We're never going to run Dude, out. Of we've time. added six just during this interview. It's like, oh it's man, all, we need to do an episode on that. We need to do an episode on that. Dystopian future. We're doing an episode on that. Resident Evil. All kinds of crazy stuff. It's all your I'm fault. Sorry, listeners, yeah. but yeah, Bye. he gave us way too many ideas. Yeah. Well, Marissa, I know Resident Evil, but I now I got to go back and watch those movies just based on what she said. So I'll make sure to check it out. <laughs> there was a lot of Resident Evil jokes when the coronavirus started happening. And I just that's sort of my exposure to it. So I haven't I haven't dived into it yet, but we might have to for an episode. So uh, if if um, people wanted to reach out to you on the Internet, um, how could they find you? And we'll link it in the show notes as usual. OK, uh, so uh, I have. Well, you could go to my website, dannafedorak.com, and there's, 
you know, my email address up there if you want to drop a line or just sign up for my newsletter. Uh, I am on Facebook. Um, I am on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not on it as much. Okay. So if uh, you want to get a hold of me or follow me right now, I'm posting my crazy uh, most stuff through meta. I mean, I'm scrolling through it. I'm just not, (laughs) I'm just not uh, posting as much stuff on it, but that's where I'd say that's, that's where you could find me. Okay. And uh, this is the part, dear listener, where I remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. They help the right readers find the right books. So do your part. That's especially true with debut authors. Uh, They live or breathe by the algorithm that suggests books. So if you read it, you like it, leave a review, tell someone else, and it will help her be able to keep writing and uh, keep her publishing company very, very happy because the Wild Rose Press, they need reads to, uh, to keep contracting her. So yes, so that is important. And we will link to your her publisher's website if you want to check out their other stuff. If they were smart enough to hire her, they clearly got some good taste. So with that being said, you can find us on our link tree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, link tree backslash or no slash blasters and blades podcast. I will get that right one of these days. Link tree slash blasters and blades podcast. We link have some faith, Marissa. We will link to all the things, the bitch shoot, the rumble, the YouTube, the Twitters, all of the things. We'll even tell you how to reach out to Madam Stabby Stab so you can send her all of the hate mail. Uh, have you gotten any yet, Stabby? No, but I get a lot of love. I'm disappointed in you, dear listener. You could do better. No, all because right. they all love me because I don't, I don't start the drama. I'm not the okay. drama. Nick, you and I are going to have to make fake accounts to send her hate mail just so we have something to talk about. I mean, somebody else will do it, clearly. Oh, crap. I said too much. Anyway, so you can find us on the link tree where we link to all the things, the Twitter, the email. We have a Facebook group, backslash group, slash group, slash Blasters and Blades podcast where you could join the conversation. Uh, we have our website, which is anchor.fm backslash slash blasters dash and dash blades. They should have never told me I was wrong. Now I can't get it right even when I try. Uh, anchor.fm slash blasters dash and dash blades where for as little as 99 cents a month you can help keep the lights on these episodes aren't free to produce so we appreciate all of your help Uh, and if you want to support the show more directly go to buymeacoffee.com slash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com slash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-hosts duly caffeinated they will drink until the coffee pours out of their eyeballs and the boba tea pours from their ear holes (laughs) see what i did i adjusted on the fly with that little bit of a callback i was paying attention people all right thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for my uh Poor put-upon co-host who's put up with me for some reason. Um, Doc Saska, the Madam Stabby Stab, and Nick Garber. I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. All right, thank you for coming out. the third billing. Uh, Thanks so much, J.R., for having me. Yeah, all right, and we're out.